Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Joining me in centering today is Stacy Francis. Stacy's a certified financial planner, very important, a certified divorce financial analyst, a certified estate and trust specialist with over 20 years experience in the financial industry. She is a podcast host of her own show, Financially Ever After Podcast. Podcast, sorry about that, and Financial Help for Widows, a complete resource guide, author of that, and author of Unveiling the Unspoken Truth, the Financial Challenges Women Face During and After Divorce. Stacy is a nationally recognized financial expert, leading one of the top leading wealth managers on CNBC's Digital Financial Advisor Council, a member of, and this really warms my heart, Stacey, a member of the Forbes Financial Council. I mean, that's all you have to write. Forbes (laughs) is the god of money, right? Uh, Contributor for the Wall Street Journal. She also is among the Forbes Top Women Wealth Advisors. Investopedia's 100 Top Wealth Advisors, Investment News Top 20 Women to Watch in the United States, and Financial Planning Magazine's Pro Bono Award. Stacy, I am so exhausted (laughs) with all of your accomplishments and all of your roles. Dang, who has time to invest money now? But you are my my financial go-to. Thank you, Stacey. I really appreciate it appreciate the time you're giving us. Well, thank you, Judith. Um, I'm excited to talk you know, about all things divorce, how to make sure that you're financially secure during and after, top mistakes that I see happen. Um, and I work with individuals through Savvy Ladies, which is a nonprofit I started. I know um, I didn't mention that yet. But yeah. Yeah. But, you know, with very little income, unfortunately, very little means. Um, and then I work with some of the wealthiest people in the United States, um, you know, as they're going through divorce. So I have a, a broad swath of um, exposure and a lot of good information for your listeners for, you know, wherever they find themselves, wherever they Absolutely. find themselves. Absolutely. And here's my first question, though. Why women? Now, not, not that this yeah. information isn't just as good for men, but why women? Yeah, it's um, it's a cause that's really close to my heart. I uh, grew up and uh, experienced at a, a very young age. My my grandmother was killed because of spousal abuse, and uh, I was I saw it throughout my lifetime. Um, and unfortunately, she ended up passing away. I was uh, my, my first year in college. And I was fortunate enough to have a conversation with her before she passed away to better understand why she stayed because it just, it, I couldn't understand someone as lovely and as amazing as her having someone treat them so, so poorly like my grandfather did. And she felt financially trapped, Judith. And I have to say there are a lot of women who one of the biggest considerations about leaving a relationship, leaving a marriage is, will I be okay financially? Will, will the kids be okay financially? And my, my mission 
is to make sure that all women have that option to leave their marriage if it's an unhealthy marriage, if they're not happy, and, and be financially secure after. Stacy, would you tell me how she died from financial abuse? What does that mean? So she, she really was kind of stuck in the marriage. Um, she had stopped working um, and she really was not part of the purse string. She was not part, part of the, the financials of the marriage. Right. And she, you know, she felt trapped. Um, and, you know, he threatened her. If you, you know, if you leave, you're not going to get anything. Um, whether or not that's true, she she took that as it, as it was true, and um, it was a very physically violent relationship. And okay. ultimately, it came to a head, and he pushed her down the stairs, and she ended up passing away in the hospital. Oh my lord! Um, it was, you know, for for everyone involved, just heart heartbreaking, and yes. You know, far far too many women. Um, m- money keeps them trapped, and while money's not the most important thing for women in particular, it gives us options, it gives us possibilities, and actually, it gives us security and, and safety. So, you know, when we when we talk about money, it's not about you know, buying the Gucci purse. And, you know, for the clients we work with, that's not really what's important. What's important to them is to make good decisions so that they're going to be financially secure, that, they're, that their children are going to be financially secure. I want to circle back to something you said that is so extremely important in the last bit, and that was he threatened that if she left, she would get nothing. Now, that is absolutely not possible. And I hear this so many times, Stacey, when people call me to file for divorce or to mediate their settlement, um, especially for the filing, no filing has happened yet. Everybody's just kind of gathering their options. And I will get called by women saying exactly that. He said, I won't get anything. And I said, first of all, That is impossible, and I don't care what state you're in. There is no state in this country that would have as its divorce laws, the man gets everything and the woman gets nothing. And just like an aside for men who are concerned, just cause your wife or other spouse may say, you'll never see the kids again. It's not possible unless there's really something wrong with you, unless there's substance abuse, unless there's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but if you're a normal couple that just isn't getting along, you've grown apart, do not let that scare you. And so pertinent to this conversation, do not let that threat of you will be penniless get to you. Because Stacy, even in, in the financial end of how you deal with things, if the woman doesn't have money accessible to her to hire an attorney, and in that situation, you need an attorney. You know, I I deal with people that need legal advice, but they don't need full attorney representation. What you're describing, i.e. your grandmother's situation, that required attorneys. And so 
attorneys have other ways of getting paid rather than you, the woman just writing a check. You know, and, and so what are their other options? They can file in court to have the court ask the man, right? Or attorney okay, for their legal. Yep. And, and for attorney's fees, also for expert fees, um, individuals will come to, to me um, and not have access to, to any money whatsoever. There is money there, but they just have no access to it. And, you know, the attorney can, can make a request for not only legal fees for them, but also expert fees. We're considering expert to work with them. And, you know, I, I, I don't want everyone you know, to, from this podcast to think that, you know, if you're going through divorce, you have to have a, a certified divorce financial analyst on your team. I, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that for certain cases, the answer is yes. And if you've been bullied, if you need an advocate, if you have a complex situation or you feel like you're behind the eight ball and your spouse was more on top of the finances and you're coming to this feeling less than empowered. Um, at that point, having that person to advocate for you, explain the tax impact, the do's and don'ts of, of, of divorce, what your decisions today might look like, not only two years or three years or five years from now, 30 years from now, and, and how to set yourself up for success as you start as you start your new life. Um, and I totally believe in a team approach and, you know, having a great person like you, a financial, and, and I also, I would also say a mental health professional because... Oh, in that type of a situation without a exactly, doubt. Exactly, exactly. Without a doubt. I just had a thought, tell me if this is possible while you were talking. I was thinking, well, when you're married, even if you're in an abusive marriage, it doesn't matter. You typically file joint tax returns. And in a marriage like that, and even in a more traditional marriage where there's no abuse, you just have different roles in the relationship. Yep. One yep. person will deal with the money and getting the um, tax returns done, and the other person will just sign on the dotted line, honey, and they do, and it gets filed. Well, if somebody, and I just got a call like this right before we started recording, somebody called me and said, um, I want to refer a friend of mine to you. They're very wealthy, but she is a stay-at-home mom and has no idea what the finances are like. Stacy, can that person who has no idea but signed a million joint returns, can they call the IRS and under the social security numbers of either of them pull the most recent tax return to get an idea of what they have? Yeah, actually, Judith, there's a lot that they can do. And that is number one. Um, you, if you have a joint tax return and you signed it, you can get um, both a transcript copy, which is something that will come to you pretty quickly from the IRS. That's, uh, it's like a summary. Um, and then you can also ask for the entire tax return. Now, the thing to know is that it's going to be sent to the address on file. If you're currently living with your spouse and it comes to the address of file, just Again, knowing that that could happen. Um, the other thing that we have our clients do is to get a copy of their credit report. Their credit report is so illuminating and particularly in situation where there has not been transparency 
understanding what credit is out there. Um, often we'll even see loans that they didn't know. A few times we've seen that their name was forged and there's an extra home equity line of credit on the house that God forbid they had no clue was out there, let alone under their name. So getting your tax return is really important. And what's great about the tax return, sorry, you're I'm talking about the credit report. Um, What's great about the credit report is that you can have that email to your email and you can get it right online. And where you go is annualcreditreport.com, annualcreditreport.com. There's no no transaction history about that. No one's going to know that you got your credit report. Your spouse won't know. And it's also not going to hurt your credit score. So there's there's no downside. So getting the tax return is going to help you figure out the assets because you're going to look at all of the capital gains. You're going to look at all the interest and dividends paid in that section. And it, it actually puts the name of the accounts or the name of the institutions, the financial institutions where they are at. And so it starts to paint that picture. And then on the debt side, you have your credit report. So there's still going to be holes. There will still be holes, but you're starting to fill in. It, it's almost like um, the, the crossword puzzles of the New York Times. As you start to fill in the holes, it becomes easier to complete the whole thing. And, and that's some of the things that you should be doing. And you know, looking at the mail, reading the mail, making sure that you see where the mail's coming from, which financial institutions. And typically, people are pretty lazy. So if they have a checking account at Capital One, they most likely have a savings account there. If they have a savings account there, they might have a brokerage account or an IRA. So these are all things that you can look for. And one of the ways that you can fill in those gaps is if your spouse is not coming forth with this information during discovery, when everybody should be sharing equally financial information, they can subpoena these financial institutions. So it's a quick and easy thing to do to write a letter to Capital One and say, do you have any financial assets under her name, under his name, under their joint name? Um, And often that tells a lot of information. One spouse would actually be able to get that information in the other spouse's name at a financial institution? At a bank? Yes. So your lawyer subpoenas uh, the institution. Okay. Okay. You yeah, can so, walk in and do it yourself. No. But the lawyer- no, you can find out anything that's in your name, anything that is also held jointly, but it's the what's in his name that can be difficult. And right. I say his just because we tend to because, work with well, women. This was our example that we're using starting with your personal example, grandmother and yeah. grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. So, Stacy, to support your mission, which is to give financial wisdom and freedom to women, and because we started on our discussion of how to start this, if you need to get a divorce, and now you know not to be afraid of the threat, you won't get a penny. That's not going to happen. Yeah, not true. In our education today, should we start with the financial do's and don'ts before, during, and after marriage? Start with the before part. How should we? How should women 
work their way through this? You know, it's a great question. Um, We get a good number of women coming to us even before they've decided to get a divorce for education. And that is the biggest do for women. Just because you're getting educated about your finances and what the divorce process might look like doesn't mean that you're on a steam train that's left the station and you can't stop. It's all about getting educated. And so my biggest do for women, whether they're thinking about divorce or have decided that they're moving forward or if they're in the process, is getting educated. We just talked about knowing the assets. We also talked about knowing the debts and the liabilities. But there's another piece that we need to know, and that is what the income is and also what we're spending. And in particular, what we're spending, the majority of us have an idea. In fact, we may be the ones paying the credit card bills. We may be the ones doing the shopping on Amazon. But it's very rare that we work with a woman who comes to us that has gone through a year of her expenses and categorized them according to clothing, eating out, tutors for the children, it, all those pieces and having it all categorized. And, and I have to tell you, that is really important and key is to understand what your spending is for you. If you have children, what the spending is for the kids and knowing that is absolutely paramount and key to going through the divorce. If you're a recipient of child support or spousal support, that data tells what you need, right? If you are on the other side of the the table and you are the breadwinner, that tells what you can afford to pay for child support or pay for spousal support. Um, These are all really... other miscellaneous expenses for the kids because it is. Or it doesn't pay for everything. It doesn't. And you have to think about what are all those, what we call add-on costs. So child support typically, as you know, Judith, it's going to cover housing, food, clothing, you know, the the basics. But particularly here, so I'm on the East Coast um, and we have a lot of clients here in the New York metropolitan area. And we also have a lot of clients also out in California near San Diego, San Francisco, Los Angeles. And we see a lot of costs for camps, tutoring, of course, medical, orthodontia. Uh, These are all things that are considered add-ons that are not covered by your typical child support. And so you would be needing to know what these costs are so that you can negotiate with your spouse what portion you're paying, what percentage you're paying, what percentage they might be paying. Uh, and the more, the, the more successful I see our clients, the most successful are those that understand the numbers. They get educated. We help them. They know what the assets are. They know what the liabilities are. They know what the total income is. And they know all the expenses. Having that clear picture allows you to make good decisions. And I liken it to trying to walk through your house with a blindfold, not having this information. You can probably stumble through your house, 
but you might get hurt. You might stub your toe. So take the blindfold off and really get to know the assets, the liabilities, the income, and the spending, because that's what's going to allow you to make good decisions during your divorce. And uh, on the financial disclosure form, Uh every state has disclosure forms. One is financial, one is about assets and debts in some layout. But on the financial one, that's where the income of both spouses will go and any other income, secondary income they get. And then for us in California, page three is the monthly budget. And I always say to people, Stacey, this is really the most important page. Yes, yes, it's great. You each know, you know, the overall money coming in gross versus net. But if you don't know each other's budgets, you cannot successfully negotiate amounts of money that will stick. And if you have overspent, so what happens a lot of times, and I'm sure you are no stranger to this, the one who is really not in charge of earning money and providing for the family has no real idea about the total debt. And I can't tell you the number of times you hit on it in what you were saying originally. There could be loans against the house. Your name could have been forged and you have no idea until you come to the divorce table and it's like, oh my God. But more than that, and I, I, uh, there, the spending habits of people. So we each have our secret spending habits, right? And some of us are a little freer with our spending habits than others. I had this one case where she knew there was significant debt, but not anything to the extent that it yeah. was. And yeah. when she saw his financial statement, she, I thought she was going to pass out. Yeah, How do it's- you recover from that? And, and, and here, and I'm sorry, I'll, I'll let you go in a second, but... How do you pay child and spousal support if even your minimum payments exceed what you make? You take it. You take it away. So debt is um, a real a real problem, and I'm going to go back to um, a story that that hopefully will give a lot of women faith. Um, I worked with a woman through Savvy Ladies Pro Bono. She was getting divorced and had the wake up of her life. Their joint credit card, her husband had maxed out without her knowing. Because it was a joint credit card with Visa, Visa didn't care who had done the spending. And Visa also didn't care in the divorce agreement who was responsible for paying the debt. What ended up happening is he declared bankruptcy. And so even though he was supposed to pay off that debt because he incurred it with some pretty bad behavior during the marriage, she was stuck with it because Visa was going to go after her, which Visa did. So fast forward a few years after, uh, after working together through Savvy Ladies, she had completely paid it off. She had started a 401k. And even better, we got her on the Today Show to share her story. And that was so important for her to, number one, warn other women, but also tell other women that if this happens to you, you can get over it. But here are the steps to make sure it doesn't happen to you. 
If you have any joint credit cards, even if you're just the signator, it's not in your name, you're still responsible for whatever goes on them. So make sure that you're getting copies of all of the credit cards. By getting that credit report at annualcreditreport.com, Judith, you're going to be able to see every single debt that your name is associated to, including those joint cards. And you can see if there's bad behavior of your spouse running them up. Number two, if your marriage goes south and you're starting to look at the divorce process or you're worried that your spouse is overspending, take your name off the joint card. Make sure that you are not responsible. Maybe you have to close the card and have it rolled, the, the balance rolled over to a new card, but get your name off. The client that I mentioned, her mistake was that that joint credit card they kept throughout the divorce and she kept her name on it. And she felt that the settlement agreement saying he was responsible for paying it off protected her, but it didn't. It didn't protect her because the contract is with Visa. And again, like I said, Visa doesn't care who is responsible based on the divorce of paying it off. They're going to go over, they're going to go after whoever's name it is. And I will tell you, we've talked about credit card debt. We've talked about home equity lines of credit, mortgages, things like that. Don't forget about IRS debt. And this is another fall off your chair surprise that a lot of women have. When all the cards are put on the table, finding out that their spouse owes thousands, tens of thousands, even more to the IRS. Finding themselves on the hook for that too, because they've signed the tax return. It's very hard to claim what's called innocent spouse, that you had no idea of what was going on if your name is on the tax return. It has been done and we've been able to do it for clients, but it's not easy. And so that's another debt that we don't talk about, that we don't talk about that can be a real surprise. But the other thing I've seen too, Judith, that is really naughty is the year of their divorce, all of a sudden prepaying their taxes, having a surplus with the government. And reason why? Because they're going to wait till they get divorced and then they'll tell the government, you can pay me back the extra money that I paid you. Okay, I don't understand any of that. Could you say this in a different way? I sure can. I sure can. So when you are putting money away for taxes, it comes from your paycheck. But what you can also do is you can write big checks to the IRS to give them even more money. And I've seen naughty spouses pay upwards of $50,000 writing a check to the IRS to say, I'm prepaying my taxes. So it means that they're overpaid their taxes. So it's, it's, it's a great way to hide money. It's a great way to hide assets because the IRS holds that money for you. Oh, I then, see. It's a different it, way of being surreptitious with money. It is. And Got it's it. an, and it is, so we, we talked about owing, you know, owing money to the IRS. Well, you can have the flip oh where your God. spouse actually, once the divorce is final, will say to the IRS, go ahead and pay me that extra money that I overpaid you. 
I, oh I maybe maybe I made a mistake. I I overpaid you accidentally. Oh my lord! I have uh, never heard anybody say that, Stacy. I have to no tell you, I'm, you're with Forbes magazine. For well, say. we've worked on hundreds of divorces, and I, I will tell you, and I don't want to scare your your listeners. This typically doesn't happen, but we have seen it. We've That's seen people. We've seen people prepay their taxes so that they get a refund once the divorce is over. We've seen people move accounts offshore where they can't be tracked. We've seen people say to their business owners, let's say they're a business owner and they have a partner, you know what? Let's ha- make a, build a new, a new building that costs a lot of money so it looks like we're losing money in the business so that I'm taking very little home. So less money is available to be considered to pay child support or spousal support. Yes. Um, I've seen people put the wrong values of real estate properties when they're valued at much higher. Um, there's a lot of stuff that can happen. And really what this all comes down to, it comes down to that first thing we talked about, Judith, education. The more you know, the more involved you are, the more likely you are you are to pick up on this bad behavior. Okay, so Stacy, devil's advocate, I am so busy. I have these kids, they have activities. I'm running from the second I get up to the second I go to bed. I have zero time get it. to do anything. I get it. But. Exactly, and thank you. But. Thank you for saying but. I mean, guess what? I know how a marriage can work. I am married. In fact, we're celebrating 20 years. And, and I always joke he's married to me because he's afraid of me. But actually, really, we, we truly are in love. <laughs> and we've got two kids and we've got two pets. And I have a charity that I run and I have a for-profit business, Francis Financial, where we do wealth management. I get it. I get it. I get it. But the divide and conquer of you take care of the finances and I take care of the kids or you know whatever that is you got to be part of the finances you have to be part of the finances and so if you have a financial advisor start to attend those meetings if you don't have a financial advisor start to have a financial date night with your spouse while you're still happily married if you're beyond the past of the the space of happily married then start to push in and read the mail, look at the account statements, see what's going on in the 401k, do your budget, see all this spending, look at the income and the income's right there on the tax return. Sit down with the accountant, understand what's going on. These are all things that you need to do because I have to tell you, it's not just about you anymore. It's also about your kids. And if God forbid you have to meet, you know, miss a soccer game or be going through some of the stuff during the soccer game of, you know, looking at account statements or, you know, looking online, you know what? You need to be financially secure. And the best way you can do that is understanding what the finances of your marriage look like and what your finances are going to look like after. Okay. Honey. I really want to know more about the finances of the marriage. What do you want to know for? Why all of a sudden mm-hmm. are you interested? I don't understand this. Is there something going on? Okay. 
You know when you're in a healthy relationship when everything is open and above board. You know that your spouse is considerate of you if there is nothing uh, off limits to discuss. If you're receiving pushback uh, when asking to be part of the financial aspect of the relationship, you have big problems. Correct? Judith, I can't thank you enough for saying that because you just did it in such a clear way. A a marriage is an economic union. Of course, there's love and sex and kids and all that. But um, one of the definitions, the first definition actually in Webster's Dictionary is that it's economic union. And that means 100% transparency. If you're not getting that, there's something wrong. One of the biggest questions I've ever had, and I'd love to hear if, if you've had women ask you this too, is, you know, how do I start to insert myself in the finances? Ooh, if, good if, you know, if I haven't done that all my marriage and now things are rocky. Yeah. Um, I get that question all the time. And usually what I'll do is watch a really, a really sad movie where the husband dies and the wife is left left absolutely befuddled with not knowing where assets are, not knowing what, you know, the things look like, potentially being, you know, financially devastated. Watch that movie and then come to him. Make sure he sees you watching it cry. And then, (laughs) then talk to him and say, I have no idea. Do we have life insurance? I don't know where the assets are. I don't know what your income is. I don't know what what would happen to me if this happened. And if he says, "Oh, honey, you'll be fine," don't take that as an answer. Yeah, run screaming. So you could be left holding the bag, but it's the empty bag. Exactly. Or the bag, or the bag full of debt, and then it's really too late. Or if you start asking now, you've been married X number of years, you've really never participated in the financial part of the marriage. Generally, wouldn't you say, or maybe I'm overstating, you can correct me. The reason why somebody would want to get interested in the finances after many, many years of not is because their signals are up. There's something awry. I mean, isn't that just like a red flag for you that you're not comfortable in this relationship. What do you think? I think that it, that, that is a red flag. It has to it be is. waved though. I mean, you have to do it. You have to do it. Yeah, but you do have to wave it. And, and there, if, if you feel something in the pit of your stomach is not right, that you don't, that there's a reason you're not being included in the finances. Mo- most likely, there, there's a good reason yeah. that you're worried. Um, as women, I, I, one of the biggest challenges I know I've, I've, I've faced as a woman is trusting my intuition. And as I continue to get older, I realize how right that intuition is. So if you have an intuition that, you know, not, not all the the chips are being put forward for you to really see on the finances. And there's a reason, and 
that that not all of the information is being given to you you're you're right there's something there's something wrong and there's a lot of you know financial infidelity that's going on and when i say financial infidelity it's not just it's not about um you know having a, an affair with a woman although that could that could happen or affair with a man whatever it is or gambling or drug habits or alcohol financial infidelity is also spending on things and not and and hiding it putting money in an account that your spouse won't see um not bringing home your full income and keeping it in the business Spending or you know, earn and not letting your spouse know. I can't believe you yeah. that phrase financial infidelity because a year or two ago I interviewed two therapists and they specialized in financial infidelity and I had never heard that term before but it made perfect sense and they just explained that our relationships to money uh, develop when we're younger they yep. either develop because we watch our parents and how they deal with money, or there's just something internal to us, unique to us in our relationship to money. But we do have a relationship to money. And so the, the infidelity word comes to, it addresses the word relationship. And it is simply spending money and not letting your spouse know what's going on financially. That's financial infidelity. And it can be the man or the woman, or it can be either spouse. It doesn't matter. It can be the spouse who doesn't work. They can still be the ones committing financial exactly. infidelity. Yeah. yeah. And it's trying to hide. I, I, and I think that's the, that's the yeah. word, hiding, Yeah. right? Yeah. You know, you can spend money and forget to tell your spouse. I mean, like, I love Zappos. <laughs> I love Zappos too much. Um, in fact, the the doorman in our building, we live in New York City, was like, I, I was I was just skiing with my family, and he's like, I don't know how you how you really got much skiing done because obviously you were shopping because all the Zappos box. I was like, okay, thanks, thanks. Yeah, no, I was doing more than just shopping. But um, but the the piece when it becomes financial infidelity is when you that's being hidden from your partner. Yeah. That's, that's where the financial infidelity comes from. And we did a survey um, that I'll, I'll share with you. I'll give you a link so you can put it in show notes for your listeners. Mm-hmm. We interviewed 150 women who had gone through divorce and uh, 64% felt that their husband was not being truthful, 100% truthful about the finances and or hi- actually hiding assets. That's a big number. That's a very big number. That's a huge number. And I remember when I was young and I watched my parents talk about money. This was in the 50s and 60s. So it was very traditional. Mom stayed at home. Dad worked. My father was very open and he wanted to teach my mother about money. He wanted to show her exactly what he made and what the family expenses were on a monthly basis. And he wanted her to live within that budget. And it was very difficult for her to do that. So that was an interesting situation of him wanting to educate her and her resisting. Yeah. Fortunately, well, unfortunately, my dad died in the 70s. And so we didn't get to know him as adults. Fortunately, he managed money so well. We weren't wealthy, very middle class. 
but he managed his money so well. And between my sister and I, we were able to package things for her so that she lived well between his social security, his pension, and uh, the money he left her, which was not huge, but she did invest it in some things. And so, you know, we pieced it together for her and it was fine. But I want to address, there are three parts to a divorce, preparing financially, going through the settlement, and then what do you do with your settlement afterwards? So I think you gave some wonderful advice in the preparation stage. Now we're in the middle, Stacey, of the settlement. We've exchanged the disclosure forms. Everybody knows, nobody thinks anybody's hiding money. Let's yep. just put it to the, the garden variety divorce where you pretty much know what you have, but now you yep. have to deal with it. And the woman for the first time has to make decisions for herself financially. Could you t- address, please, the issue of, because the numbers may be similar on both sides of the settlement, the settlement itself may be unequal in its ramifications for each spouse after the divorce. Judith, you just set that up really beautifully. Um, and a settlement agreement, you, you know, he, he could be walking away with a million dollars and that's in his column and then there's a million dollars in your column and it looks, it looks equal, it looks fair. Um, but when you really peel back the onion, you see that you're walking away with different assets. And he's walking away with um, $500,000 in cash and a brokerage account that was just invested a month before, meaning that there hasn't been much, much appreciation or growth. And she's walking away with a mil- the million dollar 401k or IRA, which feels really good because her retirement's secure. For him, after tax, if he were to sell the house and use the cash, that million dollars would be a million dollars pretty much for him. For her, the million dollars in the IRA or the 401k, if she were to take it out and and use it to buy groceries or whatever she needed to do, she's going to be left with not a million dollars, but but most likely around $600,000 because she's going to have to pay taxes on every single dollar that comes out of that account. So this is a um, somewhat of a worst case scenario situation where he takes all the assets that are, um, you know, very, very little, create very little in tax and she takes pretty much the worst. And not only do you have to look at the tax impact of assets, you also have to look at liquidity. So for him, he has $500,000 in cash that he can use however he wants. Anytime she needs money, she doesn't have cash. She has to dip into that retirement account, pay taxes, and then whatever's left over after taxes is what she can use to for her grocery bill. So also not only thinking about the tax impact of taking cash versus a retirement account versus um, the house, yeah. you know, thinking about what do I need for liquidity. Like, do, do, I know I, I need an emergency fund. Everybody should have an emergency fund. That's three to six months of living expenses. Do I have that? Um, you know, am I, am I taking the house and no other asset? And so you call it 
house rich, cash poor. Well, that's not a good place to be in, especially if you're a divorced woman. And let, let me just interject. That happens so often when the man doesn't want his retirement account touched, he'll give up his interest in the house. So she's got the house and it's set up. You just set it up. Your house rich, cash poor. And now what do you do? And now what will you do? And um, you know, we're, I'm having this situation with a case that actually I have to work on um, after this podcast where it's a settlement agreement and most of their money is in real estate. They have 10 different properties. It's quite complex. And retirement and then a little bit of cash, a little bit of cash. And I'm having a son of a gun challenge making it work for her because there's there's no money coming in. She doesn't have an income to be able to support her walking away with all that real estate. And she doesn't want to sell any of it. So what do we do? Well, you've got a little bit of cash, but eventually you're going to have to tap into those retirement accounts and eat down your retirement accounts. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. She's going to have to sell some of that real estate because she can't afford to keep it all. Okay. It just can't. Well, Stacy, if she sold some of the real estate, what if some of it had capital gains attached to it? So that's a huge price tag, right? It is. And so what, so if you're going to sell something, sell it pursuant to the, the settlement agreement so that he has to pay his portion of the capital gains too. Oh, oh, interesting. Right? By the way, this could be a very innocent, we think we're doing everything right for each other kind of settlement. I don't mean to cast aspersions on the other spouse now because people actually do think yeah. it's the right thing for both of them. So, so the intent is good, but yeah. the result may not be so much so. Exactly. And, you know, for example, she could decide to take the primary home and boy, they've had that home for 30 years. Right. And children, all the memories. Oh, yeah. Right. And they bought it for 300000 And now it's worth a million dollars, which is very reasonable over 30 years, probably even worth more depending on the country, uh, part of the country you're living. And once the kids go off to college, uh, five years from now, she, she sells it and she gets that million dollars. And her basis is three hundred thousand. She has seven hundred thousand dollars in gains, in capital gains. That now she gets an exemption. That's two hundred fifty thousand dollars that every homeowner will get. Right. But even oh. with that exemption, that's paying capital gain taxes on four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That is a huge amount of money, and she can't afford that. She needs every single nickel and penny from that house proceeds because she now needs to use it to either maybe buy another property or to, to, to rent something. So these are all things that I, I have to say the devil's in the details. And that's why working with a great matrimonial attorney, if needed, a financial to, to, to look at this for you, it's, it's almost like putting a different pair of glasses on. And it's the glasses that are almost like those those x-ray glasses where you can see through things to what the actual tax impact is on you. Um, and, and that's 
understandably not something a lot of people, you know, really do. That's not really their their everyday being of way of of looking at at, at dollars and assets. Right. Could we before we leave this part of it? Could we just address the emotion attached to the house and how get in the way from a settlement that you're going to kick yourself making down the road? Yeah. How do you deal with the emotion? Because we all get it. You raised the children there. Perfectly understandable to be attached. But what's on the other side? Yeah. So I like to look at it from the child's point of view. Uh, I have a, a podcast and I interviewed a, a child of divorce. His name's Devon Barrett um, on our podcast, Financially Ever After. And I asked him this question. His mom sold the house. So decided, you know, we need to downsize and I'm not taking the house. And he shared that living in the house didn't matter to him what mattered to him was being able to still go and play baseball with his baseball team, to go to the same school, to be close enough to his friends that they could do play dates. He said, it really wasn't the house. It, it, was, it was just being able to have my life. And so I, I like to share that story because particularly moms, and I'm right there, um, we try and do everything we can for our children to make it better and easy, especially if we're going through divorce because we, as much as we shouldn't, there might be some feeling of guilt of having to put them through this. And, and I have to say that there should be no guilt because you're making your life better and you're making your life better for your children and they see that. And wherever your home is, is where your kids are going to be happy. And I'll give a great example. Our, our home was destroyed in August. We had a, a pipe burst that completely flooded our apartment and we lost every piece of furniture except for four or five pieces. Mm-hmm. And so we're not living in our home because we can't. We've been out of it now for seven months. And it's going to be another six months till we get there. And can I tell you, our children have just rebounded so beautifully, wherever their parent is, is where home is. That's really what it comes down to. And my kids have been thriving in this new place and it's fine, but we've tried to stay in the same community. So they had the same place for martial arts and the same place for their play dates. Yes. That's the ticket, you know, not leaving the community. So the network... As much as possible. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you don't even have that choice. Sometimes you do have to leave the community because it's so expensive to be, let's say, in that school district. But that's what we have found matters the most. It's not about being in the house or the apartment. And so don't feel that you have to burden yourself and put yourself financially behind to keep them in the primary home. I know. And I often wonder, is it really the person who wants to stay in the house? Is it really for them more than anything? And I kind of almost think it is because a person can only deal with so much change at one time. And maybe in the initial stages of discussing the settlement, 
that's the safest, easiest go-to place. You know, I just want to stay in the house. Let's see if we can make this work. And then everybody gets busy trying to make this work. And I understand that comfort zone. That makes sense. But if you have the right team with you, the right financial analyst and planner with you, that person like you will hopefully be able to reduce the emotion to numbers. And that's what I do in my mediation. Yeah. I Very just smart. the other day to somebody, I understand the emotion. I, I see the emotion in front of me. The way to calm the emotion down is you go to the numbers. And it's not a hard-bitten position. It's those numbers are going to make you emotional at some point worse than your emotion is now. So let's bite that bullet and let's reduce everything to numbers. And now let's see where you want to place your emotion. Yeah. I mean, I, I, part of the reason why I came into this profession, other than, you know, obviously seeing my grandmother struggle so much, is that numbers don't lie. I, numbers for me are like a cozy blanket. They never lie to you. And what else can you say that about life? They, they tell you, even if you don't want to hear it. And looking at that settlement agreement and having it modeled out in a financial plan for you to see, you know, where are you going to be financially 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now? Sometimes the picture it, it paints is a really hard picture to see. But that is one of the biggest gifts to see that picture if it doesn't work before it happens. Yeah. So that you can pivot and you can make good decisions to make sure that you're protected and that that eventuality doesn't happen. And that's the biggest piece. Divorce is one of the most vulnerable times in a woman's life, emotionally, but also financially. And it's the time when she can make decisions to put her on the right financial path or unfortunately the wrong decisions that that lead to financial insecurity and the the group of people the largest group of people living at the poverty line and below above age 65 are divorced women and so i can't say enough how important it is to to think about not only here and today but to think about the future how is she going to be Stacy or do the, how is she going to be living in 10, 20, 30 years? Is she going to be okay based on the decisions I'm making right now? And that's the biggest, the biggest advice I could give, whether you're thinking about divorce going through or after planning for her in the future and loving yourself as much as you love yourself today loving yourself, that, that woman in the future too. Um, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're answering the question, when do you involve a financial, a, a, a divorce? I, I can't stress this enough. Yeah. Somebody who specializes in settlements and, and financial planning for divorce is, is, is the absolute person you need. So to answer that question that is on your extremely important list of questions when you go to your website, you know, when do you hire a planner? Well, I think you hire one 
before you even file for divorce or as you're filing so that you can bring somebody on board right now to guide you through those very important initial steps. And then during the settlement, because the afterwards then just is management. Right? But the bigger issues are before and during, and then after kind of takes a lot. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Before and during are are really a very high, high, I call them high stakes times. Um, And and after, you know, it's managing and it's just being smart living within your means. Mm -hmm. It's also being smart to invest the money wisely. Um, The way that you invested with your spouse is most likely not the appropriate way to invest for you as a single mom or a single woman. Mm -hmm. Um, So making sure that you're doing that, that you're updating your estate planning documents, you're updating your beneficiaries. So it's not your ex any longer and it's, uh, you know, potentially your kids or whoever else um, that you update your insurance, um, you know, and and just all those pieces. There's a lot of loose ends, but um, I, I do agree that during, you know, before and during the divorce is, is definitely high stakes. And, Finding the right certified divorce financial analyst, um, there's a couple questions and I can send you a list of what questions to ask because most people wouldn't know. But And I'll put them in the blog, which appears right. after this episode airs. Okay. That's great. Um, the most important question is how many cases do you work on a year? For a lot of divorce financial analysts, it might be one, two, or three. Uh, about 75% of, of CDFAs only work on three cases or less a year. Um, that's a problem because it means that they're they're learning as they work on you. And for us, we we work on about forty cases a year. So we're on the opposite end. We do. I mean, this is really a lot of the work that we do. The second thing you want to ask is how you charge. We we charge hourly, and then we work with clients ongoing um, as a percentage of the assets we advise them on. And so during the process, it's just hourly, and then it's percentage. Um, you you want to find out how do they work um, and just make sure that that works for you. I think that's really important. And number three, you want to ask them, are you fee only? Are you fiduciary? And are you independent? Um, fee only means that they don't make commissions by selling you this investment or this annuity or selling you insurance. It's unbiased advice, which is important. And the fiduciary means that by law, they have to do what's best for you even if it isn't best for the financial advisor. So a good example. Maybe she really does want to take the house and give him the retirement. And you run the plan and the model and it really does work. But that financial advisor is not going to have much money to manage because she is taking the house and he's taking the investment assets. A fiduciary has to give the advice to her to say, you can do it. You can do it and you can afford it, even if it's going to hurt them, knowing that that person's not going to really be able to, to, to manage a portfolio or a much smaller portfolio afterwards. So that's why, again, fee only and fiduciary are, are also two other really important key pieces to ask for. Thank you for that. I think that is extremely important. I, I wanted to ask you, when you're working with a woman and... Uh, you're with her prior to the filing or at the onset of the filing. And now you're looking at not only her financial disclosures, but his, the assets and debts, both of them. 
when you do this, and you, the word fiduciary now sounds interesting in this question, see if it applies. Do you look at what's best for both of them, if, especially if she wants to be fair? Every, you know, somebody yeah, yeah. There is, but they think the equal numbers make it fair. So do you go through different options and show how this could benefit both of them if this yeah. option was chosen versus that option? Yeah, yeah, that, um, you know, you always want to advocate for your your client, but at the same time, you know you you want to you want to be fair. So, for example, the the agreement that I just spoke about that I'm working on right now, um, we're having them split the retirement because, you know, both of them have to deal with the tax impact, right? So, you know, if if I really wanted to be sneaky, I would give him all of the awful taxable retirement and I would have her take all of the checking accounts. Well, that would not be appropriate, um, particularly because we're trying to have common ground. We're trying to find, you know, build goodwill, um, trust, and and make sure this, this is actually in mediation and we're trying to keep it in mediation and not fall out to litigation. So very much. And you can work with divorce financial analysts in different ways. There are people that will work as a neutral and I'm, I'm not one of them, um, but they actually, the client is not only the, the um, her, it's also him. So it's both parties, both parties. And there are some pros and cons to that, definitely. Um, but, but it can be a really good solution for some couples. Um, we tend not to work that way. We tend to just work with her um, and Usually, it's because she feels very financially behind the eight ball and wants us to help bring her up to speed, really educate her, um, advocate for her. And often, we are brought in when it's a highly complex asset, lots of assets, many different types um, hedge funds, stock, you know, stock options, deferred compensation, lots of real estate, and it's not clear. The other time that we're brought in is when um, she feels very uneducated, exposed, and scared because he has held the financial knowledge of the whole marriage. And so that's another time that we might come in. Um, and the other time that we'll come in is we, we deal with a lot of cases where there is financial abuse. And because of my background of, of seeing domestic violence and understanding as I continue to try to understand of how to support these women, um, you know, needing an advocate is, is just really important and key. Yes. Um, I understand all of that. I, I guess for me in the final analysis, as you're doing your due diligence of really looking at things from her perspective, she still has to go back and negotiate. And so that's, as a mediator, I keep, I'm the one in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And I envisioned, okay, that's great. This is what's best for her. But if he also has somebody very wise on his side that says, well, that's best for her, but it's not really for you. 
I, I guess then everybody has to go in the middle at some point to work yeah. out what, what give you each get an equal amount of liability to deal with after the fact, and you each get an equal amount of uh, asset. Yeah, and Judith, I heard this said before. I, I, I can't take credit for it, but um, a matrimonial attorney that I work with, she said, you know that it's been a good divorce when each party is a little unhappy. It means that each person has had to give a little bit. Each person has had to come to the middle. Um, you know, and, and there, I, I feel like there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, and I say that divorce is an issue of compromise. And if you really want to remain calm, both people have to compromise. That's yeah. the way it is. And I think once people embrace that idea of compromise, and you said it a different way, then that's what they will work towards is compromise. And, and, and that is what life is. Yeah, yeah, compromise. exactly. Okay, exactly. so we're at the end of the hour. Did I not ask you anything? Did you not get the opportunity to say something that you really wanted to communicate when we got together? So I, I wanted to share some resources with your listeners and um, you know, just make a clarification. So I've I've talked a lot about, you know, high asset complex divorces. So that's the work that we do through Francis Financial. We tend to work with people who have many millions of dollars doing this divorce work and working ongoing. So that's a resource for your listeners. But I also realize that um, there's the other 98% of, of America. And I want to encourage anyone who needs support and help to reach out to Savvy Ladies. Savvy Ladies is my love letter to my grandmother. And we're a 501c3 nonprofit. And we help women... And it doesn't matter what's in your pocket and what is not in your pocket. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. We'll match you up with a certified divorce financial analyst for you to work with free of charge for an hour to help you ask your personal questions because what you're doing is so powerful in educating and, and highlighting these, these issues. But what we have seen is so many women then have the question, but what about my unique circumstance, right? And they, they need that one-on-one -on -one advice tailored to their situation. And so feel free to reach out. It's SavvyLadies.org. Um, our helpline is right there at the top and we'll connect you with a, a divorce financial analyst that can help you. Again, it's all pro bono. It's a, it, it truly is um, a charity. And if we can help you through Francis Financial, if you want to work with someone ongoing for financial advice and, and that type of work, you're always welcome to reach out to us at www.francisfinancial.com. Um, so my, my hope and my prayer is that any woman who's listening here today is going to be able to walk away with a, a path to get all of her answers that she needs to make sure that she's, you know, not going to find herself in, in a difficult financial situation after. I think you've addressed the needs of my two strongest demographics. And my two strongest demographics are women 25 to 35. Yep. 
yep. your, your wealth building years. Yep. And women 65 plus, which are, you're not, you're in your retirement years and um, yeah, widow or divorce. Yeah, exactly. You haven't been in the driver's seat of managing your financial life. You're definitely in need. And I think today you've really, without saying it, addressed those two demographics. And I really thank you for this, Stacey. Well, thank you. And thank you for your work. And I, I just love what you do. And I, I love what you're doing with this podcast. I, I think it's wonderful. I really do. Thank I, you. I appreciate that. I do. And I would love to have you come back. Whenever yeah. anything happening in the divorce financial world, would you please give us a call? And we- I would love to. Yeah. And it's, um, I, I, I know that divorce financial planning doesn't sound exciting, but I have to say, I think it's so exciting because you're planning someone's life and you're making sure they're going to be okay financially. It just, how powerful is that? I mean, it's just really amazing. I I feel so blessed. And I, thank you. I think you nailed it. It is absolutely right. Divorce is a new beginning. And everything that you're talking about is to set somebody up for a new life, a powerful mm-hmm. life, a strong life, a confident life, and a safe and secure life. Yeah, exactly. So, thank you, and Stacy. Thank your grandmother for this. I sure will. I sure will. And thank all of you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. I know you got a lot from this interview because Stacy is amazing. Please share this with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't already subscribed. You can reach me through my email, judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.